grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text for this morning comes from our gospel that was just read to us from Luke 10, especially verse 29. But he, the expert in the law, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? You may be seated. Now, as Pastor Fenske said, we are continuing on in our identity crisis within our Believe series. Last week, we talked, we got to hear him talk to us about humanity with the question, who are they? Who are those outside the church? Next week, we wrap up the identity crisis series with the question, whose am I? Talking about stewardship. But before we jump to the end, I get to talk to you about a little more specific question. Who are you? Now, this isn't a repeat of the question, who am I? This is not a question that you are to ask yourself. This is is not a question that I myself am personally asking to you. Rather, this is a question that we, as we live out our role as God's people, ask to those around us so we know how we can best serve them. This week we talk about compassion and how that looks like in our lives. Now, who are you is a question that can come across or mean a few different ways or mean a few different things depending on how it's asked or the context. And the first one that came to mind was as simple as, Hi, my name is Adam Peitch. It's nice to meet you. And and who are you? It's a great way to learn someone's name, especially if you've forgotten it already, as I am very well practiced in doing. The second way that came to mind was looking back at a superhero movie. Picture Superman flying away from a burning building with a damsel in distress, and as they're flying away, she looks up at him and asks, Who are you? Now, the thing with both of these examples, of course, is that they don't get to the heart of the person. It's a very shallow way of asking the question. Typically, you learn someone's name or their title, and that's just about it. Now, again, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with knowing someone's names. In fact, it's very important. But as God's people, when we ask, who are you, we don't just want to get to their name. Now, in slightly different words, the same question was asked in our gospel reading for this morning. But before I go into it, I want to first encourage you, please don't shrug this off because you've heard the parable of the Good Samaritan before. It's always the risk with using a well-known Bible story to try and make a point, but God speaks to us anew through his word every day. But in our text, we see an expert in the law, a lawyer, asking Jesus, who is my neighbor in response to the commandment to love your neighbor as yourself? And then Jesus gives us the parable of the Good Samaritan. In a quick review, this parable has four main actors. We see the man who was robbed. There was a priest a Levite, and then the Samaritan. Now, the priest is the man that we would generally understand or think of pretty similar as a pastor. And he is also one of the first actors in the story who walks by on the other side. And then we see a Levite who could be any other church worker, a teacher, a, pastor, or a, teacher, a family life minister, a director of Christian education, but they were also ones who walked by on the other side. Now, the story doesn't tell you this, but of course, a vicar would never do that. But since they didn't have vicars back then, Jesus couldn't very well use them as the illustration. Now, could he? But moving on, we then see the Samaritan. Now, you might know Samaritans and Jews didn't really get along so well. 
you might recognize these. Similar to University of Michigan and Michigan State fans, although maybe taken a little step further, they weren't very good friends. But then the Samaritan is the one who stopped. He's the one who saw the dying man, who took pity on him. He took care of him. Now, as I said, there were four actors in the story, and the fourth actor didn't really act that much at all. He was lying on the side of the road, left for dead, and waiting for someone to help. He couldn't do anything. He was dying. He was waiting for someone to have compassion on him. So then who was the neighbor to the man who was robbed? And the man who had mercy on him, of course. But here's the key to the story. You and I were the ones who were robbed and beaten and left for dead. We couldn't help ourselves. We were ungodly sinners, enemies of God. But Jesus, the very Son of God, came to serve us as the ultimate good Samaritan. He is the one who cleaned us up, cleaned our wounds, and brought us back to life in him. And so then our calling as God's people is to go and do likewise. And this would be a great place to end the sermon, but there's so much more to it. This is our key idea for this week, which speaks back to this. I believe God calls all Christians to show compassion to people in need. The Samaritan went to the man left for dead. He found what his needs were, and he met those needs. He had compassion on him. When we ask, who are you, we don't just want to ask it in a shallow way. We don't just want to know what someone's name is. Rather, we want to be like the Samaritan, like Jesus himself, who cared for others out of a real, genuine concern for their well-being. Now, in the parable, we see the Samaritan do two very specific and two very important things. The first is that he was walking by and he saw the man and had pity on him. He felt sympathy for the man. And then he takes care of his wounds. He provides care for him. He takes him to an inn. He had compassion. Now what it's so important to realize is that sympathy and compassion are very much not the same thing. Now, granted, the two are related. Having sympathy can lead to compassion. But whereas compassion is simply feeling, or rather sympathy is feeling, compassion is a doing. God does, just doesn't call us to have sympathy for someone, to feel sorry for them. He calls us to action. He calls us to show compassion. James 2 speaks very well to this. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? But how often do we do that? How often do we tell someone how sorry we are that they lost their job without giving them the support that they need in this tough time? Have you ever caught yourself saying something like, oh, well, I hope things get better for you, and then moving on with the rest of your life? As much as I kid about Vickers never passing by, I couldn't tell you how many people I've driven by on the side of the road who were homeless, asking for money, because in my mind, I had something better to do than to take ten seconds of my time and give them five dollars to help. How many beggars or charities have you ignored on the side of the road, walking by at intersections, maybe rolling up your windows, locking your doors, just to make sure they don't find you? 
And frankly, I think this stems from a few different things, one of them being we're scared. We don't want to go out and do these things. But another thing is we're selfish. See, the word compassion literally means to suffer with. The Samaritan got nothing out of stopping and helping the man on the road. He received no benefit. He wasn't paid. In fact, very much the opposite. He paid the man's hotel bills. He used his own personal supplies of oil, of wine, of some sort of cloth to bandage his wounds that he probably didn't intend to use for that that day. And because of our selfish nature, so often we want to get something from helping people. We provided them a service, so we should get something back. But in reality, true compassion comes when we realize that we don't do it for our own gain. Now, Jesus said to is as good a reason as any to show compassion as others. But there's one more reason, I think, that gives so much more motivation. See, church, you and I are called to have compassion on people because the greatest act of compassion in all of history was shown to us. God on high saw us in our sad state. He saw us dying on the side of the road, and he had pity on us. And he did something. God didn't just feel sympathy. He didn't look at us and say, oh, I'm sorry for your situation. No, he showed us the greatest compassion by sending his son Jesus to pick us up off the side of the road and to give us new life. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent His one and only Son into the world that we might live through Him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that God loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Brothers and sisters, true love, true compassion is found in God's work through Jesus. Jesus fully embodied what it means to suffer with. He left his heavenly throne, the glory and splendor where he was, and became a lowly, weak, dirty human. He physically suffered. He died for you and for me, and he sought no gain for himself but one. He gained us. Even though his suffering and death were absolutely horrible, he found it all worth it just to bring you and I close to him, to bring us into his family, his kingdom. Because of Jesus' suffering, because of His compassion, we gained everything. And that is the most beautiful news that I could ever share. So our response, our action and thankfulness to God for this great compassion then is to love back. Not just to love God back, but to love and serve God by loving and serving those that He has placed around you. 1 John 4, I think, sums it up perfectly. We love because He first loved us. The goal of this first section of believe is to think like Jesus. And Jesus showed His love to all people. Not just His friends, not just the people who agreed with Him, not just the clean ones who didn't smell, even those who disagreed, even the ones who put Him to death. Jesus' life of love gives us 
a beautiful example. We are called to show love and compassion to all people in need. Not just fellow Christians. Not just the people who agree with you. Not just our friends. Jesus showed us what it means to ask, who are you? He knew our needs, and he desired to help, to care. And so how do we do that in our lives today? One of the great examples that we see of people living out this compassion ministry is our ministry of the month, is Stephen Ministry. These are people that go out to have compassion on other people. They take their own personal time that they could be spending doing anything else, and not out of a gen- or not out of any gain for their own, but out of a genuine desire to care for those who need to be cared for. But of course, Stephen ministry isn't the only way that we can act in compassion. God calls all Christians to show compassion. You don't have to be a Stephen minister, a pastor, a church worker to do these things. This isn't just a job reserved for those in authority. This is something that we can do throughout our everyday lives. When you're at work, at the grocery store, driving around town, God can show us countless ways to love and serve Him by loving and serving those that He has placed around us. And I know how easy it can be to ignore the needs of those around us. But God did not ignore our needs. When the Good Samaritan left his house this morning, I don't think he had it scheduled to stop on the way in the middle of his journey to help a man dying on the side of the road. I don't think it was part of his original plan, but when he saw the man, he he acted spontaneously out of love, out of compassion. Compassion isn't always convenient. It can cost us money. It can cost us time, which sometimes can be much more valuable than money these days. But when we know the ultimate compassion that God has shown us, why wouldn't we want to share that with others? We know just how beautiful it is to live with Jesus, to live as His children, blessed by His love. And so just as God has shown His great compassion to us, may He empower us to go and do likewise to our neighbors. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.